The following is a sermon from the Vicar at Sure Foundation, a church located in Woodside, Queens, New York, the world's most diverse community. For more information and for more audio content, go to sure-foundation.org. If you're following along online, we're on page 10, reading from our gospel reading, which also serves as our sermon text for today, from Mark chapter 1. At once, the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness forty days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and the angels attended him. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. The Gospel of our Lord. Praise be to you, O Christ. Please be seated. How can you be confident? How can you put your confidence in something? Like maybe a product, like if I'm going to buy a new car, how can I be confident that this thing is going to be worth my time, my money, my effort? Especially in our culture, we want to be sure that it's worth it. If you're like me, maybe you go on the internet and you search for reviews, right? You Google, uh, is this product really worth my money? Or, or you go on Yelp or Reddit, or you talk to friends and see if they've used that product and they can vouch for it, right? I wouldn't buy a car that I'd, I'm not sure if it's safe for my family. I wouldn't buy shoes if I'm not sure that they're comfortable and can last me more than a few months. We have confidence in something when we know it's proven. What about Jesus? Have you thought about whether or not your Savior Jesus is proven? Is he worth your time? Is he worth your effort? It's not easy being a Christian. Well, as we make our our, our way through 40 days of Lent, Jesus shows us that he is worth it. He is proven. Mark is going to tell us in our text today that the devil tempted Jesus, but he was proven to be sinless. So I'm going to show you today that yes, our Savior is worth our time. He's worth our effort. He is proven in temptation. He is our Savior and our substitute. So let's begin by talking about this temptation that he was proven in. This temptation was really Jesus' first ministry assignment. It's it's really an awful first assignment. He's sent out like a missionary. Mark says, the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness. I think it's the worst missionary call of all time. He's not sent into a, a fertile mission field to find people. He's sent into the desert to suffer with the devil for 40 days and 40 nights. Physically demanding. Physically excruciating, honestly. 40 days and 40 nights. No food, no water. No help from his divine power or the angels themselves. And danger of being attacked by wild animals. The things he created now see him as food. It's twisted. It's wrong. But he did it. Furthermore, 
Obviously, Jesus is in a bad spot. And those of you who know hunger know that it can cause extreme pain and and just exhaustion in every way. So for 40 days, he's not eating. And that's about the limit of what a human can endure. And to further stress the difficulty, we we know from Matthew and Luke that he he needs the help of the angels when he comes out of this. He's not making use of divine power. And the only company he has is Satan, who's spending all of his time tempting Jesus and trying to get him to trip up and fall into sin. The odds are stacked against our Savior. I think before we move on, we should talk about the number 40, right? 40 appears in the Bible all the time, and without getting into too much numerology or any you know, conspiracy theories about what this could represent, think of another well-known 40 from the Bible. For 40 years, the Israelites wandered in the wilderness, right? And this was a punishment sent by God because they would not listen to him. Well, this 40 days in the wilderness is not a punishment from God. It's a testing. And really, it's a way for God to to grab Christians and say, how much more clearly can I put it? Jesus is the perfection and he is the fulfillment of this plan of salvation that began with Israel and they failed to maintain. But now, here's Jesus. Here's God himself. And he is going to overcome the devil. 40 days against the devil just with him. But he does not sin. I would say that Jesus is proven here. Proven against the odds. Like like a Stanley Cup, right? It's sweeping the nation right now. It's very popular. The insulated Stanley Tumbler. The company is so confident that its product is proven because it has evidence. It was tested. There was a social media video that was, that was going around recently of a woman named Danielle. In the video, she's walking up to what was formerly her car, which is now a heap of twisted metal and burnt rubber. A fire had completely consumed her car the day before. And in the video, she reaches in and she pulls out her Stanley Cup. And then she takes the cap off and inside that Stanley Cup, is ice and cold water from the day before. It withstood the explosion and the fires in her car. That's proof. That is evidence. The Stanley Cup works. And now whether I've convinced you or not that the Stanley is worth your money, that's not my point. That is truly being tested. That's proof. Our evidence comes from the words of Mark. And also from the words of Matthew and Luke who all come together in the Gospels to describe this just pivotal event in Jesus' ministry. The very first ministry assignment he gets. First of all, we talked about those ridiculous conditions that he's being tempted in, right? Tested in every way. And then we consider that his only company is Satan himself, right? Matthew and Luke, they spend a lot more time in the Bible talking about what each of those temptations were. And they they draw them out and they explain them, but Mark doesn't need to. 
And I'll save you time on what those temptations were. Jesus is tempted truly in every way. Physically, mentally, spiritually. The devil knows what he's doing. And so he does everything in his power to get Jesus to trip up. It's clear to see that Satan pulled all the stops because he knew this was the one chance he was going to get. Jesus was basically put in a position to fail. Right? The devil saw, this is my opportunity. Okay, Jesus hasn't really started preaching the gospel yet. He doesn't really have a ton of followers. So if I can get him to completely de derail his ministry right now, I win. This is it. I got to try. And so Satan does that. He wields every weapon he has. He sharpens every lie he can think of and he goes at Jesus. And it's the same thing that he does to you and I. He sees that all he needs is lies and a twisting of God's word to pierce our hearts with those weapons, those temptations, and to get us to, to lose sight of Jesus and to fall into sin and despair. And we know how that feels. We know how it feels to fall into temptation and all of a sudden we feel like the only thing we're proven to do is sin. The worst part is, Satan doesn't really need to pull all these tricks on us that he does with Jesus. Sometimes Satan barely needs to lift a finger to get us to sin. He just needs to watch us and see how we're weak. And oh man, are we weak against temptation. But we have a Savior named Jesus, who did this 40 days of temptation on our behalf. It was for our sakes. He knows our weaknesses and he experienced them so that we could be sure that he is our perfect substitute. Hebrews 4 talks explicitly about this role of Jesus. Hebrews says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Empathy. The Bible uses the word empathy. Now, empathy is usually reserved for unemployed parents in desperate need of, of money and work, or, or a grandmother struggling with, with cancer in the hospital, or a young child who's, who's broken their arm, right? Empathy is not reserved for the alcoholic, usually, or the compulsive liar, or the unfaithful spouse. But that's who Jesus gives it to. By faith, Jesus gives us empathy. He gives us his grace. So with confidence, we can come to him 
and receive the forgiveness of sins from somebody who has struggled to the, through the same weaknesses that we do. He endured temptation in every way and was proven truly to be our perfect substitute and Savior. Brothers and sisters in Christ, you're never alone. That's the truth. Your sin is never too much. Your sin is never something that Jesus has never heard of. He knows you and he still loves you. Embrace the love of our brother Christ who comes out of the desert at the end of this trials exhausted, beaten, torn up, and victorious. Embrace the love of your brother Jesus who did this for you proven in worthiness and perfection so we can come to him with our weakness. What a way to begin a ministry. We talked about it. The worst missionary call in history probably. 40 days in the desert to suffer. Jesus could have just began his ministry by, you know, dipping his, his toe in the shallow end of the pool like a kid, right? Instead, he goes to the deep end and dives in head first, not really sure of what's going to be there. And we see him come to the surface, treading, head above the water, smiling even. I would say, Jesus wins. He passes the test. He's proven he won. This is a victory for our Savior. Of course, it's not that final victory that we celebrate where he defeated Satan, but I'd say this sets the tone for the rest of his ministry, doesn't it? He begins with a win. And he's going to continue in that way. But, the, but Satan is never done tempting. Matthew actually says in the Bible that Satan left Jesus until a more opportune time. And he does return. We see it all the time. In the Pharisees, or in people trying to test Jesus, Satan sneaking back in and trying to see if he can get Jesus to mess up. And that's the other part of temptation that we need to remember, is that Satan is always looking for a more opportune time. So what are the opportune times in your life? I can think of a few in my life, and maybe, maybe this has happened to you as well. So I, I come home from a day of work, and I'm tired, of course, maybe more tired than I realize. And I walk in and I'm greeted by, by my wife and a messy house and a crying baby. Not my favorite thing to walk into. And what I could do is respond with love, right? Be a good Christian guy and say, oh honey, let me help you clean up the house. Let me help you take care of the baby and ask her how her day was. And instead, I go right to frustration and I say, what happened to the house? That wasn't hard for Satan to tempt me to do that, right? Pass by love and go right to frustration because, well, I'm tired. I need to put my needs first right now. But maybe you're not married. It can happen any other place. I've been in traffic and I'm sitting there in the car and all of a sudden I find myself using ugly words to talk to the car in front of me because I'm a little frustrated in that moment. What's happening? <laughs> Satan doesn't even, doesn't even need to lift a finger to make me sin sometimes. He just needs to know the opportune time. And it can be exhaustion. It can be frustration. All he needs to do is watch us. 
He finds us at our lows, our vulnerable moments, and he takes advantage of them. And he wants us really to feel distant from the victory that Jesus won in the desert because he knows it was done for us. He wants us to feel lonely. He wants us to feel horrible. Like all we could ever do is sin. But Jesus wants us to see the victory. He wants us to see that he beat the devil and all those earthly temptations. Even when the spiritual, even when the, the earthly odds were against him, our Savior succeeded. So when we believe that truth, that Jesus' victory is ours, I think it changes our perspectives completely. I talked about in the email this week, how have you seen the battle of temptation portrayed? I've seen it where, you know, in the artist's depiction, we're fighting against Satan in hand-to-hand combat, right? But, oh, we have Jesus on our side, so sometimes we win because he's really strong. That's fine. But a way better interpretation, in my opinion, and I think reflects what Jesus did for us, is to imagine a victory parade. A victory parade better than those ones that happened after World War II in Manhattan. Bigger, grander, louder. And Jesus is at the front. And he's marching with all the Christians behind him. And we're walking, watching our leader, Christ Jesus. And who is trampled and just beat up and squealing from the sides? It's Satan. All he can do is yell and try to get us to look away from Jesus who has won the victory for us. And yes, he will try to distract us. He will try to make us walk out from the parade. But our Savior knows this too. So he says to each one of us, he says, look, I know he's loud. It's okay. The victory is yours. Look to me. That's our victory parade. And that's what the battle of temptation is. Satan trying to throw you off of that path to heaven. But that victory is yours. After that first win in the wilderness, Jesus kept winning all through his ministry. He took it to the cross. And then he did win that final battle. He conquered Satan's greatest weapon against humans. He conquered death. So we no longer have to fear that that final end to our lives. And the victory parade that began on Easter carries all Christians in forgiveness and grace to life everlasting with God our Father in heaven. Jesus shares that victory speech with us at the end of our text when he says, The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. It's not a warning or a threat, or something we really need to fear as Christians, it's actually good news. It's a victory speech. There's nothing better to hear that our home in heaven is quickly approaching. That is a message of victory. The best news to hear. Come and share in the joy and glory of our perfect, proven substitute, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.